Welcome to the Foundry Church. We're so glad that you're tuning into this message. We post these audio versions every week so you can keep up with them by subscribing to this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about us as a church, you can visit our website at foundrychurch.net or like us on Facebook by searching our name. That said, here's this week's message in our series called Believe. So we are in a series right now on Revelation, uh, specifically spending some time on the seven churches. And if you're a visual person like I am, this map will probably help out a little bit, uh, talking about where we've been. So last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Patmos. So John, that's the uh, circle in blue. That's the little island of Patmos. And we said that John the author of Revelation, so Jesus is speaking to John, and John's writing these words down. He is on the island of Patmos, and it's kind of like a prison island. He's not allowed to leave. He needs to be there, because Rome is kind of mad at what John is doing. So that's the island of Patmos that we talked about. Just up and to the right of that, that first um, bottom left, I think I'm saying all of those things right, uh, red circle is Ephesus. And Eric spoke last week on the church of Ephesus and how Jesus spoke to them talking about the deeds that they were doing, that they were really good deeds, they were doing a lot of good things, but they weren't doing it for the right reasons. See, the church of Ephesus didn't love Jesus. So they were missing the point. Their actions were for themselves. They were doing good things, but they weren't for the right reasons. Um, The circle above that, uh, right in the middle there, is Smyrna. And that's where we're going to be spending our time today, talking about the church of Smyrna and what Jesus had to say to these Christians there. Uh, But before we dive into that, I want to spend some time talking about running. Anyone like, yeah, let's not talk about running. How about, right? Some of you are thinking, well, the only time I run is if someone's chasing me or if I walk outside and the ice cream truck missed me as I was trying to walk towards it, I may run at it then. Right, that's the instances we think about when we run. But me and uh, my wife were actually, when we were dating, we thought, what a better way to spend time with each other than to start training for a half marathon. That would be fun to do together. I wouldn't encourage that on any of you. So (laughs) we started training for this half marathon, and it took a ton of time. I didn't realize how long it would take to run like 13 miles. Like it's hours upon hours of doing this. And It took us the entire summer of training because we'd have to work up from three miles to four miles to five. And by the time you're running eight and nine mile stretches, you had to have a good few hours set aside for that. And you had to be eating well and all these types of things. We spent all summer training for it. Um, But that victory in the end of crossing that finish line after we completed it was like nothing we've ever experienced. You see, what if... You go to work, the next time you go to work and your boss comes into your, wherever you're at and he says, he throws you a pair of tennis shoes and says, I need you to run a 25K uh, before you start working or there is a box uh, with, that you can put all your stuff in and you can just leave. Some of you would be like, I'm just going to grab my box and go because I don't work for a place that supports things like this, right? You'd get mad at that, but some of you... If you've been training, whether whether or not you knew about this moment coming, if you've trained for a 25K, if you've trained in any way, you can probably do it, right? It's not that it's not going to be any work, right? It's still, there is a ton of work and suffering that goes into running that kind of a distance, but it's something that you could do, that you could accomplish it. 
See, there's training, there's perseverance, there's a mental game to keep pushing you through, but that victory in the end, that finish, there is just nothing like that finish. Has anyone run the Riverbank Run before? Yeah, some of you guys, yeah. How many of you uh, ran the Riverbank Run to win it? Like, I'm going to run to win. Yeah, you laugh because that's really, they are the elite of the elite that are running to win it. There's 20,000 people that run the Riverbank Run every single year. And to go out and to win it would be absurd, right? You go out to get a finisher medal at the end of it. Right? Everyone who crosses that finish line at the end of the 25K gets a finisher medal. Those people aren't going for first place or second place or third place or even higher up in their age group. They're going to get a finisher medal because it doesn't matter to those people what place they get. And what matters is I finished this race. Right? I've trained for this. I finished this journey. See, the Christians in Smyrna, that we're going to talk about today, were in the race of their lives. Right? They were in a journey that f- felt crazy hard. They had people on all sides of them telling that what they were doing was not worth it, that it wasn't worth the pain, it wasn't worth the suffering. And the church of Smyrna, Jesus writes to them to speak these words. But before we go into those words, I want you to get an image of how Jesus is speaking this. I ran cross-country uh, my senior year of high school, And if you don't know what a cross-country course is, um, it's often a course that runs in the woods and through some fields and some pavement, just kind of all over the place. But it's often a course that kind of your parents and coaches can kind of see you at different points of the race because it kind of loops in and out of different places. So there's multiple points where you can be encouraged and say, okay, you can do this. Right? My parents would go to many of my cross-country meets, and I remember them going from place to place to encourage, you've got this, keep it up. But at the end, right before I would see the finish line, my dad would set himself about 150 yards away from the finish before I turned one of the last corners, saying, you're almost done. You are so close. I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. But give it everything you have. You are so close. Finish strong, Matt. Right? In that same image, I want you to be thinking of these Christians in Smyrna, Jesus speaking to them like a father on the sideline saying, hold on, this is what I have to say for you. He says these words in Revelation 2, 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, For these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So that's Jesus. I know your afflictions and I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now picture this with me. A worn out, tired Christian that's being persecuted, that's being mocked, that's being thrown in different directions. And Jesus is on the sideline, their Savior, speaking these words to them. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Hang on to that victor's crown. We'll come back to that later. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So what's helpful to know is what the history of this church of Smyrna was. 
that helps kind of bring some context around what this story is. Because in 23 AD, okay, so this is kind of about 20 years after Jesus was born, 23 AD, the church of Smyrna was dealing with some emperor worship. Emperor as in like Caesar. Caesar is Lord worship. Most of the nations and area nations were struggling with things like gods and idols of like the sun and all of these different uh, beings that they would worship. But the church of Smyrna started worshiping the emperors, the, the Caesars, and they'd say Caesar is Lord. It got to the point where in 23 AD, the Roman Empire, who was in charge at that time, saw what the church of Smyrna, not the church, but uh, the group of Smyrna people were doing, and they said, let's put a temple or a shrine there for Caesar. So they built this shrine in 23 AD. And by uh, this book in Revelation was probably written somewhere in the 90s. And in the 80s, a a emperor known as uh, Caesar Domitian, or Domitian the Caesar, he came on the scene. And not only did he like erect some of those temples around for people to worship the Caesars, but he started demanding worship, that they should worship him and only him. They must say that Caesar is Lord, and they're not allowed to say any other thing. So this is the church that Jesus is writing to. See, the Christians in Smyrna have to choose, are they going to say Caesar is Lord or are they going to be persecuted? Right? Many of them, if they said Jesus is Lord, would lose their jobs, which would mean they would have no income for their families, that they'd have to live in poverty. Some of them would be tortured. Some of them, even to the point of killed, they'd be persecuted. And this is the church that Jesus is writing to. The early church of Smyrna was persecuted because of their faith. And this is the church that Jesus speaks these words to. I know your works. I know your tribulations. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So he starts out with that, I know your works. Right? We talked a lot last week. Eric mentioned that Ephesus was drawn with the works. They had the deeds. They were doing good things, but they weren't doing the things for the right reasons. They didn't love Jesus, and that's what they were missing. And Jesus warned them of that. But the church in Smyrna, Jesus knows their deeds. But he doesn't just stop there, because he also knows their tribulations. And I love this image, because there's a few different kinds of no. Right? You can see something happen and be like, I know this is happening. Like right now, we can probably picture there's a cop ticketing some of you, and you're like, I know that's happening, right? But I don't know that because I'm not currently being ticketed. I'm parked in the right spot, right? So there's that. We can know those things. And Jesus is not saying that. He does see them. He does know what's going on. But what he does know is he's actually been through that, right? It's very different to have someone who says, I know what you're going through, and someone who's been down that same journey to say, I know what you're going through, right? We often think of Jesus as, as fully God, right? We, we can picture that and that makes sense, but we often forget that he was also fully human. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. He was 100% human when he came down on earth, right? And you have to imagine that 
as a kid, we don't have many scripture passages of him as a kid, but you can picture that as a kid growing up in a place like Nazareth, um, him being born to a virgin, right? Is everyone actually going to believe that that was the case? You can, you can think that, what was Jesus mocked as a kid? Right? Was he bullied from his upbringing because of the situation he got brought into? Does he know that kind of pain? Right? We know that when he was in his ministry and before he was turned over to the guards, that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with his disciples. And he asked them, please pray for me for what is to come. And the disciples fall asleep. So he knows the pain of needing friends when he needs them most and them kind of just not doing what he asks. Right? He also knows that when he was arrested, that all of his disciples fled. Right? All of his best friends that he'd been living years with are all of a sudden gone. He knows what it's like to feel deserted. Right? He also knows the pain and the suffering because he was flogged and he was spit on and he was hung on a cross to die. See, the Jesus that is writing to the church in Smyrna, when he says, I know your tribulations, he means those things. I know. I've been there. I've been on this journey too. I know what you're going through. See, Jesus also knows their poverty. Right? He grew up in Nazareth. And Nazareth was not a big trade port like many of these different churches are. They were places where you were a tradesperson and probably just looking to make ends meet every month. Right? He has seen poverty. He knows what that's like. He says, I know your works, I know your tribulations, and I know your poverty. So what does Jesus call them to do? Right? He says that he knows all of these things, but what does he call the Christians in Smyrna to do? He said this, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Some of you today need to hear just those words. Because maybe you feel like you've been suffering for so long and no one's actually taking notice of it. Hear these words from Jesus saying, I know, I know, I know, right? I know your tribulations. I know your poverty. I know your sorrows. I've been there. Hold on a little bit longer. The end is going to be worth all of this. See, there was a man named Polycarp who lived in Smyrna. And Polycarp was one of John's disciples. So the John that is writing the book of Revelation, the John who's on the island of Patmos, one of his disciples is this guy named Patmos. So you have to think that Patmos is learning everything from John, and John learned everything directly from Jesus. Right? He, John wasn't just a disciple of Jesus. He was actually one of the inner three disciples, the Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the close, like the best friends of Jesus. Right? So Polycarp is learning from someone who was very close to Jesus. So he is the one who is kind of leading this church in Smyrna. He's leading them through this persecution that they're dealing with. He's leading them through the hardships that they have, and he's spreading the Christian faith, the good news about Jesus to this area church in Smyrna. But Rome doesn't like this. 
right? Rome is not okay with this. Rome only wants people to say Caesar is Lord and not some other Lord. And Polycarp is saying everything opposite of what they want. So they decide to start persecuting him. And they track him down and they find him and they bring him into trial. And what, what Polycarp says is that I will not denounce the name of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. You will not get me to say Caesar is Lord. And the Romans knew who Polycarp was. He was actually a good dude. He had a lot of good deeds, a lot like the Christians in Ephesus. He did good things and people knew about it, but he was spreading the good news of Jesus and they could not let that continue. They needed to make an example. And what they told him as he came up, they said, if you just say Caesar is Lord, then this can all go away. We won't persecute you. We won't kill you. We will kill you if you don't, but that can all come away. And Polycarp says, no, Jesus is Lord. See, some historical books will say that all the Christians needed to do is kind of take a pinch of incense in some ceremony in one of those temples to Caesar, take a pinch of incense and burn that and say, Caesar is Lord. And then they would get a certificate that said they had done those things and then they could go off and do whatever they wanted. They could say Jesus is Lord after that and go on believing in whatever they wanted. But they needed that original token to say, nope, I've said the right thing. I've done the right thing. Now I'm going to go do what I believe. Right? But Polycarp does not even do that says, I am not going to commit this hypocrisy of saying Caesar is Lord and then going and living a different life. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to let culture determine what I think is right. And the proconsul says, if that's the case, we are going to put you to the fire. And Polycarp explains to him that the fire of the immediate, of being burned immediately, those fires would be extinguished at some point. They would not be lasting. But the everlasting flames of eternal life would last forever. And the flames of this current life were not, were worth staying and avoiding from that eternal fire. See, Polycarp said, Jesus is Lord. And he died because of those things. He had to pay for those words with his life. You see, why, why did Polycarp do that? Right? Why didn't he just pin, take a pinch of that incense and burn that and say Caesar is Lord and then he could continue living his life like he wanted to, right? He could continue professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why didn't he just do that? Because that would take away a ton of pain. Right, it would be the easy way out. But Polycarp knew Jesus. And he knew what Jesus had to offer him and his city. You see, Polycarp ran the race, even though it was hard. See, Polycarp knew Jesus, but he also trained. We find that Polycarp had trained for a ton of time. One of the instances that's written is that when the soldiers came to arrest Polycarp, they came to his door and he let them in voluntarily and said, I've got some food. He offered hospitality. I'm sure they had a long journey to get to him, so they had a seat. And he said, all I ask is that you allow me to pray for one hour. And the soldiers say, oh yeah, that, that's fine if you're feeding us. Yeah, do, do what you need to. So he prays for not one hour, but two hours. 
See, he's training in the midst of this persecution. He's training before he knows what's even going to be coming. To run the race, it often includes three things, doesn't it? See, we have the training in the beginning. We need to do the training. But there's also like the perseverance, the mental head game of knowing that you can do it. But that ending, that finish line, that victory is that third piece that is so glorious. But let's talk about training first. Because why do we train? Well, we train to make it more possible to finish, right? We are more likely to finish something if we've been training for it. See, I think of when me and Jalen were training for the half marathon, it was hard in that race. Like we wanted to quit at mile eight or nine and just be done because we, it got up into Grand Haven. It, it was the Holland Haven. So we started in West Olive and made our way to Grand Haven and towards Grand Haven, it gets hilly. You don't know that when you're driving a car. You're like, oh, this is pretty. But when you're running, it's like, this is awful. It's Grand Haven. That's what it is. And we we're running. We had this, this moment of, is this worth it? Right? Is this, does this actually make sense? What does this actually do for us? Right? But we had trained. So we knew that we could do it. We knew that we could finish it. Students in high school, I want to speak to you specifically for a minute. Because there, you're in a season right now that is going to end shortly. You're only going to be at your parents' house for so long. And some of your parents are like, yes, hope that comes soon. Right? We, we have this idea that it, kids, you're only going to be there for so long. Right? If you're not training now, if you're not spending time in the Word now and firming up your faith and what you believe in Jesus, when you go out into the world, when you get a job, when you go off to school and get your own apartment, when you have professors or coworkers saying, Jesus, you really believe in that stuff? If you haven't trained, if you don't know what you need to be saying to those things, your faith is going to be tested. And if you don't have the grounds to stand on, it may waver. See, that's why we train. We train so we can run the race. And you always know when you see someone who's running, whether they're training for something, right? And especially in the actual race, you can tell if someone has trained for something. Or you know they look like they can finish, that they know they can finish. They may look tired, but you know that they're going to make the end. So how do we train? Well, it just takes time. And when we were training for the half marathon, we'd start at three miles, right? And we'd work our way up to four, and then five, and six. And by the time we got to eight or nine, it would take a long time to continue training. But we knew that time was going to be worth it so that the race would be easier. You see, in the same way with our spiritual lives, if you're not in the Bible, start with three minutes a day. Just get into the word, but then work up. Don't stop at three and say, yep, I've got that checked off my list. Continue to train and get more knowledge in who Jesus Christ is and what he does. See, there's also, like, we, there's so many things that we have set up. Devotions, get into groups. Some of these, these ways that you can train to get people around you to encourage you in the trials that you have going on in your lives. See, there's also perseverance. Right, that's, that's the difference that kind of makes or breaks a run. See, perseverance 
is kind of like if you think about short runs, right? You can do a short run really quickly, like to the mailbox if it's not a long drive. You're like, I can run that far. And then maybe I'll walk back, right? We, we can persevere through some of those short instances, but it's the long runs and it's the long moments of faith, long moments of pain that are going to test our faith. See, it's those moments where a loved one passes away before they ever should. It's the moments when someone, a coworker, a professor, is really smart and he's wording things really well and he's testing your faith and what you actually believe in. See, it's the moments when you have been asking for something for so long and it's not happening. It's not coming to fruition. There's nothing there. It's those moments of long pain that are going to test our faith. But if we've trained, right, that it doesn't mean those moments are going to be easy, but it does mean that we'll be able to get through those moments. We may, if we haven't trained, we may not have the perseverance to get through some of those hard moments when we're truly tested. See, that race that we did, it was hard that mile eight or nine was difficult, but we had trained, and we knew that in our training, we got to our mile 13. We knew that we could finish, and that's what put us over the edge. In mile eight or nine, we knew that we could say, no, this is something we have done before. We can finish this race. See, the church in Smyrna that Jesus was speaking to was in the race of their lives. You see, they the, the news about Jesus Christ, this, this is the early church. The news about Jesus Christ was just reaching them. You can imagine that the Christians there that were just turning to Christ were probably thinking, if I turn to Christ now, that means I may lose my job, that I may be persecuted. They had this reality where they knew what persecution really looked like and what it would be. See, they had attacks from Rome, from Satan, constantly. And I love how James 1, so in the New Testament, the book of James writes this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. What? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. See, training will push you through that perseverance. Remember when, if any of you have trained before, remember how much pain it was to get to like mile three? And you're like, I'm never going to make it to mile 10. There's just no way. But as you keep adding, as you do the fourth mile, as the fifth mile, all of a sudden, the pain that you have at mile eight is the same as that you were having at mile two because you've slowly stepped up. You've slowly trained for this event. See, the sweet part, though, is the victory. But it often comes with the mindset that you can succeed, right? In 2012, there was a study that was done with two cyclists, and one of the, both of them were kind of pitted against a computer monitor with um, a competitor on the screen, so a computer competitor. And one was told that the competitor on the screen was their personal best, they have raced this time before, and they were told, you just have to beat that. Yeah, you'd have the mindset that I've done this before, I, I can do this. The guy on the other side was told, the guy on the screen is faster than you've ever raced. That we don't know, the ch- we don't know if you can actually beat this because you never have in the past. 
And that's what was on the screen. Now the guy on this side, on the screen, they didn't tell him, but they actually made that competitor faster. They made him quite a bit quicker than what his personal best was, but he knew that he had the race. So when they started, the guy on the, this side here never stood a chance. He never actually even tried to keep up with the guy because he knew that he couldn't win. He knew that he wasn't going to win in the end. But the guy over here, he excelled. He passed his competitor and stuck up with his competitor and beat him at the end because he knew that, no, I've, I've done this and I know that I can beat this. He beat his personal best and then some because he was given the mental image of winning in the end. See, I want to let you in on a hint. You see, part of training and part of perseverance and part of knowing the victory is knowing that you win, right? If we were told that we could do the 25K and that we would win it, of course you'd run it. Like, I can do this. And at mile eight or nine, you'd be thinking, this is hard, but I know I finished this in the end, so it's worth it. Let me give you a hint here. We know what the end looks like. We know Jesus wins in the end. Satan does not come and get to win. Satan doesn't reign over us in the end. Jesus wins. He died on the cross for our sins, rose and went to heaven to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back to get us again. See, we know the ending. We know there is victory. And doesn't that make this race of life so much easier? It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be perseverance and persecution even, but we know that we win in the end. See, I love how 2 Corinthians 4 says this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, if you are faithful to him, you are faithful to him, like we talked about in the beginning, the 25K finishers at the riverbank get a finisher medal when they cross that line. If you are faithful to him, you will finish this race of life. See, but what you need to know is that at the riverbank run, they're not standing at mile 12 and giving the finisher trophy out, right? They're not doing that. Hey, you made it halfway. Here's the medal. You don't see that happening because they need to make it to the end. They need to make it to the finish line to get that medal. And in the same way, that's what Jesus is expecting us to do. Life's going to be hard. There's going to be moments where we want to quit and we want to just be done because we don't know if it's worth it. But he's crying out to these, this church in Smyrna saying, I know what you're going through. I know the suffering you have and hear those words to you too. He knows where you've been and what you're suffering with, but hang on a little longer. If you hear anything today, hear those words. He knows. Hang on a little longer. So make sure you're training. Right? This doesn't come easily. We're never told in the Bible that when we become Christians that all of a sudden life is going to get easier. We're actually told that life is going to get harder. It is going to be a journey, and we need to be training for that journey every single day. See, do not be afraid of what you are going to suffer. Those were Jesus' words to the church in Smyrna. Don't be afraid of what may be to come, but know this, when you train, when you have perseverance, when you know that Jesus wins in the end, there's victory. 
right? There is a finish line. But the question is, are you going to hang on through the journey? Are you going to hold fast even when it gets hard? Are you going to trust that Jesus knows what's happening even when you don't see him in your life? See, the question is, are you going to hold on a little bit longer? See, the journey is there ahead of us, but there will be pure joy at the end of it. And it will be so, so worth it. But I want to end with this question. If you're running the race, if you're running this race, even if it gets hard, are you going to quit? Or are you going to stick with it knowing that Jesus is winning at the end and we can push through because of those things? Are you in? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day and I thank you for the words that you spoke to John the Apostle. Um, And we ask that as we think about those words that you spoke 2,000 years ago, how much those very words still relate to our lives today. I ask that we think and we understand that you are with us and that we know you're there with us. Thank you for sending your son to go through some of the very thing, same things that we go through, that he suffered. Um, and we ask that as we think about those things, as we go and leave this building today and go into the world, that we take those things knowing that you're there with us. We ask all those things in your name. Amen. Justin was right on when he said, this is the training ground. This happens here. We train together. We train when we grab devotions as we go out. We train when we spend time in groups talking about who Jesus is and what he means in our life. But that doesn't just stay here. The training is because so that we can go out into that world and tell who Jesus is. Don't keep that in here, church. Listen to those words. He knows what you're going through, but there's other people who need to hear those things too. Listen to those words and take that as you go out this week. Hear these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions by scrolling down on the homepage. Being in God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope you felt challenged and encouraged by this and hope that you'll tune in again next week.